I'm Scott Aniel, and you're listening to Remembering Zion, Setting Minds on Things Above. In the last episode, I read the first half of my book, Sound Worship, A Guide to Making Musical Choices in a Noisy World, Chapter 4 on Musical Meaning. This week, I'll finish off the chapter, which applies the principles set forth in the first half of the chapter to how we should make musical choices. This book, Sound Worship, is available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. There is also a teacher's edition, which can be used in a small group setting or even a large group setting, homeschooling and those sorts of things, to teach the principles in the book. The students can read Sound Worship, and the teacher's edition provides additional resources, including an integration with my first book, Worship in Song. I hope this resource is a help to you. Evaluating Musical Communication From both scriptural implication and an understanding of the science of music, it is clear that music does communicate. Therefore, in all musical choices, we must be willing to apply all of the Bible's instruction about communication to those choices. Perhaps one of the most concise passages about communication in Scripture is Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. This passage most directly addresses our verbal speech, but it certainly applies to other forms of communication, including writing, body language, gestures, facial expressions, and art forms like music. Each of these are means of human communication— And so each of these fall under the authority of passages like Ephesians 4.29. Corrupt Communication Paul exhorts that we are not to let any corrupt communication come from us. The term translated corrupting has the idea of something that is rotten, foul, or putrid. It was often used to describe rotting plants or fruits. It clearly refers to any kind of communication that is sinful or spiritually harmful. For a Christian, these kinds of messages shouldn't even be named among us. Ephesians 5.3 The most obvious part of our musical choices where this applies is the lyrics of songs we listen to or sing. But I'm amazed at how many Christians tolerate or enjoy songs with lyrics that not only hint at sin, but outright approve of sin. As Christians, we must reject songs that talk about or imply sinful deeds even through innuendo. We must avoid songs that talk about sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Galatians 5, 19-21 Even things like foolish talk or crude joking are out of place for the Christian. Ephesians 5.4 But our evaluation of music does not end with the lyrics of songs. Since music is a medium of communication, through the use of emotional metaphors, music can communicate the kinds of emotions that naturally represent sinful deeds. There are certain kinds of emotions that naturally accompany sexual immorality, impurity, strife, fits of anger, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And just like we must avoid those sinful acts, we must avoid the emotions and moods that accompany those acts. 
Someone might argue that there is no such thing as sinful emotion. Emotion only becomes sinful when it is accompanied by sin. They may use the emotion of anger, for example, and argue that anger is sometimes good and sometimes bad. It just depends upon the context. However, remember again that words are merely feeble attempts to identify spiritual realities. The term anger is a very broad category that does not adequately specify particular kinds of anger in that broader category. So the anger that accompanies a noble cause is a different kind of anger than that which accompanies vengeance. In order to more exactly specify the difference, we might call the first kind righteous indignation and the latter kind unbridled rage. We're not just using different words to signify when neutral anger accompanies good or evil acts. We are actually describing the two different kinds of anger, one that is always good and one that is always evil. And music can actually communicate the difference between these kinds of anger in ways that mere words may not be able. Why must we avoid expressions of emotion that naturally accompany sinful acts? First, by exposing ourselves to music that communicates the kinds of emotions that naturally fit with sin, we are tacitly approving those sins. We may not actually be committing those sins, but we are, at the very least, letting those sins be named among us, Ephesians 5.3, as we participate in the music. But even more importantly, by exposing ourselves to musical communication that accompanies sinful works, we are corrupting our own morals. 1 Corinthians 15.33 gives us the principle, Do not be deceived, Bad company ruins good morals. Any parent knows that if he allows his child to hang around with other children who are involved in overt sinful behavior, eventually the morals of his own child will be ruined. And so parents protect their children by guarding what influences their children's lives. Listening to music is like hanging around with people. Just like people's moods and morals rub off on those who keep company with them, so the emotions and moods communicated by music rub off on people who listen to it. Therefore, bad music ruins good morals. As Christians, we must avoid all kinds of communication that are corrupt. This includes sinful words of lyrics and sinful emotions of music. Edifying Communication Rather, a Christian's communication must be edifying. It must build up others and even ourselves, Ephesians 4.29. Again, this command applies equally to the words of lyrics and the emotional messages of music. Listening to music that expresses noble affections is a way of approving what is good, and good music promotes good morals. As Christians, we must not fill our lives with sinful actions or attitudes, but neither should we fill our lives with things we might simply consider neutral. Rather, as Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. In other words, Paul is saying that we shouldn't be content even with things that are simply lawful or acceptable. As Christians, we should look for things that are helpful, beneficial, profitable, 
and edifying. We should not be asking what's wrong with it. We should be asking what's right with it. This includes our musical choices. We should choose songs with lyrics and music that communicate noble messages. This doesn't necessarily mean it has to be sacred. Music that talks about general things of life or even music with no lyrics at all can express noble, beneficial, edifying messages. Again, we must ask, what does this music communicate? Evaluating whether a song expresses corrupt communication or edifying communication should create two clear categories for a Christian. One category from which he may choose and one he should avoid. This assertion does not imply that musical evaluation is easy or that the issue is as black and white as some wish it were. But if a Christian is willing to make the effort to evaluate his musical choices based upon the guidelines about communication in God's word, he should be able to group songs and styles into one of these two categories. Then, within the category of music that expresses edifying messages— A Christian has great liberty for preference. Fitting communication. Yet this is not where a Christian's musical evaluation may stop. Even having created these two categories in his mind, he must then consider the appropriateness of a song or style for a given situation. He must ask, is this song or style fitting for this circumstance? Even good songs or styles may be inappropriate for certain circumstances. Brahms' lullaby is an edifying piece of music, but it certainly would not be fitting to play at a pep rally before a sporting event. A John Philip Sousa march is an edifying piece of music, but I wouldn't play it to put my infant daughter to sleep. Likewise, when we consider the kind of music we will use for sacred purposes— we must consider whether even something that is inherently good is also fitting. Here is where we must carefully consider nuanced differences between kinds of emotions. We are to rejoice in the Lord, certainly, but there is a kind of joy that is not what Paul was talking about in Philippians 4.4. Paul did not have in mind a kind of flippant, carefree frivolity. Other qualities expressed throughout Scripture must characterize spiritual joy, things like reverence, sobriety, and gravity. We are to love the Lord our God with our entire being, but there is a kind of love that is not worthy of the Lord. Since music can express these different nuanced emotions, we must evaluate whether what a certain song or style is communicating is appropriate for expressing God's truth. Why must we consider the fittingness of musical style for sacred purposes? Why is musical style important at all? Biblical truth is important, the gospel is important, but musical style? It is certainly true that the most important thing to a Christian are the gospel and biblical truth. These are the center of our attention and devotion. But evaluating a musical style that carries biblical truth is just as important as being concerned about what kind of dish we use to serve a gourmet meal to an honored guest. Really, the dishes aren't the most important thing. The food is. We want to make certain that we serve the best food possible to our guest. Yet the dish is important because if we were to serve prime rib on a dirty paper plate, the food itself would be ruined. 
We concern ourselves with the dish because we love the food. Actually, even the food is important only as it relates to our guest. The same is true as we consider the musical dishes upon which we serve the sacred food of God's truth. The truth is what is most important, but the dish can either enhance or harm the food. Our criteria become even more narrowed as we consider what kind of music we will use in corporate worship. Here is a time of focused congregational adoration of God through presentations of truth and spiritual responses. And we must be careful that the musical styles we are choosing are fitting for this sacred time. Conventional Associations Finally, we must also consider the conventional associations a song or style have even after we have judged it to be edifying in and of itself. Paul discusses this issue in 1 Corinthians with relation to meat that has been offered to idols. Controversy had arisen in the church in Corinth over whether or not it was appropriate for Christians to eat meat that had been previously offered in pagan worship ceremonies. Paul's judgment of the controversy is that the meat in and of itself is good. It is beneficial. There is nothing inherently evil about meat that has been sacrificed to a false god since the god doesn't really exist. However, at the end of the chapter, Paul declares that he will not eat the meat. Why would he refuse to eat something that he has judged to be good? He gives two primary reasons. First, Paul knows that some weaker Christians may be led to stumble into sin if they see someone stronger than them indulging in such meat. The meat carries a conventional association with pagan worship and the immoral activities that occur there, and someone without adequate understanding may interpret indulgence of the meat by stronger Christians as an endorsement of the practices of pagan worship. The problem is not with the meat. The problem is that uninformed Christians are strongly impacted by conventional associations. Paul's decision is that if indulging in something may cause someone weaker to stumble into sin, he is willing to give it up. He says in 1 Corinthians 8, 9-13, But take clear that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This applies to musical choices when a certain song or style is so strongly associated with a particular sinful lifestyle that someone less spiritually mature than you might stumble into sin because of your indulgence. And remember, the weaker brothers over which many of us have continual influence are our children. The second reason Paul is willing to give up a legitimate right is for the sake of the gospel. For this point, Paul uses the issues of freedom to marry and to be paid for one's ministry as examples. Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 9 that he has every right to financial support by the churches, the right to marriage, and the right to exemption from manual labor. However, Paul insists that he will make no use of any of these rights, verse 15. Why? 
He was removing anything that could possibly hinder the progress of the gospel. It is in this sense that he becomes all things to all people, that by all means he might save some. It is not that he compromised or was willing to indulge in otherwise questionable activities in order to appeal to certain people. Paul was willing to remove any possible stumbling block lest it hinder the gospel. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Verse 23. Evidently, receiving money from churches, taking a wife, and refraining from manual labor each carried certain conventional associations in that day that would have presented difficulties for evangelism. Paul says that if that's a possibility, he is willing to refrain. This principle would apply to musical choices when an otherwise good song or musical style would hinder evangelistic endeavors because of some kind of conventional association. A mark of spiritual maturity is a freedom to give up a legitimate right for the sake of others. Conclusion Evaluating musical meaning is important because all meaning is important. How and what we communicate matters, and therefore means of communication like music matter. The Bible implies musical communication, the science of music explains musical communication, And it is up to us to discern the meaning, appropriateness, and associations of songs and styles and make informed decisions about whether we should choose to use them. You've been listening to the second half of chapter four in Sound Worship, a guide to making musical choices in a noisy world. Join me next time as we move on to chapter five. I'm Scott Aniel.